0: and if you do that while you're there open up your bibles to ecclesiastes chapter 3 ecclesiastes chapter 3 verses 16 through 22 Telling somebody, I think I need to make the adjustment to some readers, or bigger, bigger font in my Bible, I guess, because it's getting more difficult to read. It's also when it's darker in here. Um, anyways, sixteen through twenty-two. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness, and in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. And man has no advantage over the beast, for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust, and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward, and the spirit of the beast goes downward into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would please soften our hearts or that you would enable us to hear your word, to sit before your word and be affected by your word in the right way, Lord, that we would grow as a result of this truth, these truths being spoken to us. Lord, we ask that you would change us, that you would give us hope for the life that you've called us to live today, that you would enable us to enjoy all of the gifts that you have given to us, but not worship them, but instead worship you alone. And so, Lord, please accomplish your good purposes through the preaching of your word this morning in Jesus' name, amen. All right, I have just a show of hands here. How many of you think that life is fair? Raise your hand real high if you think, yeah, life is just fair. I always, I just, nobody? Good. So we're, we're all going to start on the same page. It's just not fair, is it? Life is not fair. And so if you were to talk to somebody today, maybe one of your children, if you have kids, and they yelled this at you, that's not fair, what would you tell them? Yeah, you'd say something like that. One of my boys, I like to share illustrations. I, I have kids, and they just, they, they just live life like I'm sure your kids do, and they just have illustrations. And so one of my boys got into a car accident this year in Cobb County near my house where he was the driver at fault. He rear-ended a vehicle who was in front of him, and that vehicle then rear-ended the vehicle that was in front of them. And so it was a three-car accident. He was the one at fault. There was significant damage to the middle car, as you can imagine. And he was issued a following too closely ticket. Now, I don't know if you don't know this or not, but I what they were saying is in the state of Georgia, if you get a following too closely ticket and it actually goes on your record, it stays with you for life. That's what they were saying. That's, that's just prosecuting attorney said that. And so when we went to court for his ticket, We talked to the prosecuting attorney, and they downgraded that ticket, and they turned it into just a general traffic violation, which was pretty sweet, right? Facing something that's going to be on your record your entire life, and and now it's just a general traffic violation. And whatever fine it was supposed to be, this prosecuting attorney, they they knocked it down to just $100. So that's even better. And then we went to pay, and this was kind of like best-case scenario, for my son. We're like, okay, this is pretty good. So we go to pay and we walk up to the desk and the lady says, you, you owe us $50. And I was like, 50? They said it was 100. That's what we agreed to. She said, yeah, yeah, I understand. But when the prosecuting attorney gave it to the judge, the judge then looked at it and crossed it out and put it down to $50. And so that, that's pretty sweet. It's almost getting off scot-free for something that was pretty significant. Well, then a few months later, another son of mine got into a car accident, and it was a very minor car accident. It was just sort of a changing lanes in Cherokee County, and it was dark, and it was rainy, and it just barely rubbed this other car, and they'd pull over and call the police officer, and the police officer come. This is, again, in Cherokee County, and he ended up getting a ticket for changing lanes, improper lane violation type of thing, and then we go to court, and we're, we're, you know you do this. You pray and you hope for the best because you've got to pay insurance as a dad and all that kind of stuff, or at least help them pay insurance and think through it in some ways. At least that's what we do. Anyways, so we're, we're talking and we're trying to work through this, and you're praying for mercy, and he got none. got three points on his license, had to pay a significant fine, had to take a def, uh, defensive driving course, and in the end, a significant penalty for what he did now you you could you could think if you were this child and you could sort of compare it to the other child's accident and what he got he would say life's not fair that, that doesn't appear to be fair does it how does somebody who does something significantly worse get off with just 50 dollar fine and then somebody who does something significantly less have to pay a ton it's because life's not fair. Life doesn't always balance itself out. Life's not fair. It's not fair. My oldest child was here. She'd tell you it's not fair that when she was in high school, she had to come home at ten o'clock, and that youngest child of mine gets to stay out till twelve. Life's not fair. And if you have an older kid and a younger kid, in you're raising, you understand what that's like. And I just tell the younger kid, I wear him out in different ways. Because I was worn out by the older kid. And by the time I'm raising this younger kid, there's different things I'm looking at and paying attention to, mistakes I made early on that I don't want to make now. And then sometimes there's just things I don't want to do. So I make him have to pay for tons of things. And he'll say, that's not fair. And so I have all these kids at different points are just saying, life's not fair. And then I'm telling them the same thing you just told me it's not fair. Don't ever think that it's going to be fair. It might be fair in some cases. But it's not fair, and I don't even have to be fair with you. That's what I try to tell them. In 1962, John F. Kennedy was asked about sending more troops to Vietnam. And he responded by saying this: He said, There is always inequality in life. Some men are killed in war, and some men are wounded, and some men never leave the country. And he just said this, life is unfair. He's just stating the obvious as you're trying to make sense of, as Solomon would say, some things in this world are just crooked that are never meant to be straightened out. Some things you try to add up, two plus two is supposed to equal four, but we live in a world where it doesn't always work that way. And so Solomon's been teaching us about this. He's helping us to see in a lot of ways, especially this morning, that that life's not fair. Some people are born into a life of luxury and success, while others are born into a life of poverty and failure. Have you ever just stopped to think about God's kindness to you, to say, you were born in the United States of America? That's God's kindness. You, You did nothing personally to deserve that if we believe in a sovereign god who's at work in all things who creator of all things in charge of everything you could have been born anywhere you could have been born in the gaza strip but you weren't you were born here why it's attributed to the god's kindness grace and mercy some people have to work really hard to get accepted to really good colleges. I know people, like their their whole high school career, they're just bent on getting into UGA, and so they're involved in everything they possibly can be involved in. So they can have this awesome college resume that they can then submit to whoever's gonna accept them at UGA in the hope that they get to graduate from UGA. And so some people work really, really hard to get into these colleges, and in the end, they don't end up getting in. But then there's people... Because their parents went to this school or because they have enough money and they're able to buy themselves into these schools, they get into these schools or because they're of a certain ethnicity, they just get into this school. It just works that way as they're trying to meet different criteria and things like that. Like life's not what? It's not fair. Innocent people can find themselves in the wrong place at the wrong time and be convicted of a crime and spend their life in prison. It just happens. And then guilty people who really did some evil things can find themselves walking free today. Because they know the right person. Or because they got the right judge or the wrong judge. Or they were able to pay for a really good lawyer to get them off on a technicality. And they're walking around free. Why? Because life's not always fair. Is it fair for a young, godly person to die in their twenties while really evil men live a long life doing evil things in this world? Do we really have fair elections? I'm trying not to go there politically and stuff like that, but it has felt like that just fit, you know? I'm gonna say a little bit more about that later in this message. But but when we think about it, is it fair? Our whole country's in an uproar. Somebody's going to say, depending on who got elected and who won, and you can go back not just to 2020, but you can go back to 2016, you can hear the same people saying the same thing in a different way because their candidate didn't win, and they're all screaming, it's not fair. That's an illegitimate president. Not fair. Why? Life is just not fair. That's what my parents told me, that's what I teach my kids, and obviously that's what you think too, because that's what you just said. Solomon wrestled with this reality. Again, remember, he's looking at life, and he's trying to find out the meaning of life. He's trying to find some purpose. What is the purpose to living this life under the sun, a life lived apart from God? Can that be found? And so he's searching, and he's looking. And he's wrestling with this truth of just seeing things that just don't make sense, that just don't seem to balance. And so what we're going to learn this morning is this. Though this life might not be fair, God is fair. And he's just in all his ways. Therefore, we must trust him in all things. We're going to dig into this truth by taking a look at two points this morning. In our first point, we learned that God will rightly judge all things at the right time. As Solomon continues to think about the fact that there's a time for everything in this life. This this section right here fits into the previous section that we talked about last week where he was just telling us there's a season for everything. There's a time to be born, and then there's a time to die. And there's a time for everything that fits In between that, there's a time for breaking down and there's a time for building up. There's a time for laughing. And then there's a time for mourning. And he turns his attention to now seeing all this wickedness in the world that he lives in. Verse 16, he says, Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even in that place, was wickedness. And so he's not shocked. It doesn't appear like he's, he's shocked by the fact that wickedness exists in the world. The thing that, that's really got his attention that he's pointing out to us here in this text is, is where he sees wickedness showing up. In the place of justice, he tells us, there was wickedness. In the one place in this world where a person should be able to expect fairness or to expect some justice to take place, he tells us he looked into that place. He looked into that courtroom and what he saw was not fair. What he saw was not completely just, but instead he looked in and he saw wickedness. Do You guys know who Lady Justice is? If you don't just Google it, it's just a statue that's typically in every courtroom of this woman that's sort of a symbol of justice, a symbol of kind of freedom and fairness, something you would expect if you went to court. And so she's a symbol of this fairness and justice, and she holds a sword which symbolizes her authority and power to punish injustice as well as her ability to kind of cut through all the facts and all the obstacles to come to a right and fair decision. She also holds a balance or scales which represent her ability to kind of weigh things. And so if you looked at this picture, I'm sure some of you have already looked it up. If you're looking at it, it's just it's a balanced scale. And it's a symbol, like if you come here, if you come to our courtroom, what you're going to get is you're going to get fairness. You're going to get a, a great trial, and we're going to give you the right verdict. You're going to get justice here. And so she symbolizes that. And then in some of these pictures, she also is wearing a, a blindfold. Not in all of them, but in some of these sculptures, she's, she's got a blindfold, and, and she's just... It's just a symbol of, she's, she's not really judging a book by its cover. She's going to listen well. She's going to hear the facts. She's going to give you, a, again, a, a right decision, a just decision. And so this sculpture, this symbol sits in pretty much every courtroom around the world. And it's just a symbol that, that when you come here, you're going to find justice. You're going to get a fair Trial. And so when we go to court, we expect, don't we, that, that we're going to get a good decision. We put a lot of hope in, in courts and judges and juries to give us a right verdict. And But Solomon tells us that when he looked into this place, he saw wickedness there. He saw unjust judges handing out unjust He saw judges maybe taking a bribe. He saw lawyers misrepresenting the truth. He saw innocent people being convicted of crimes they didn't commit and guilty people being set free. He saw that the scales of justice weren't completely right and balanced. This was not only true of the courtroom, though, he tells us, but when he looked into the place of righteousness, which we can only assume here means the house of God, the place where the people of God would go and worship, where God would have his priests and they would do God's things for God's people. He said, even there, when I looked into that place, that place that's supposed to be right, that place that's supposed to be holy, he said, even there in that place, I also saw wickedness and so there's this shock he's saying surely in the courtroom surely in this place of righteousness this is where we're going to find some fairness this is where we're going to find some justice and say nope not even in that place not even there instead i found evil people doing evil things now this doesn't mean that every courtroom and every church is sort of completely wicked but what it does mean is that is that sin sits in those places It means those places aren't completely perfect. It means you're going to experience failure and you're not going to experience complete justice there. Sin shows up everywhere, doesn't it? Sin affects everything that we do. And again, remember, he's looking out at the world. He's trying to find the place, he's trying to find an answer. What's the purpose of living? And as I look around and I see this, I can't even find a place that's completely just. I can't even find a place where there's supposed to be righteousness, that it's completely righteous. Everywhere he looks is broken. Can't find a fair place around that he can say, go there, put your hope in that. Because when you put your hope in that, then you're going to be pleased. Then you're going to be satisfied. Then you're going to have all the answers. He's looking for that but he can't find it. So if Solomon finds wickedness in these places, what hope do we actually have for justice and holiness in this life? I guess you could continue to work your way through the court system here in the United States and maybe make your way to the Supreme Court if you had to, but but what do you think you're going to find there? You're going to find fallen people like us. And Solomon said, you're probably going to find some wickedness there as well. You might get some answers. It might go your way, but it might not. There's really only one place for us to find fairness. There's only one place for us to find justice in this world that will ultimately satisfy us. Verse 17, he said, I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. For there is a time for every matter and for every work. Our ultimate hope for fairness and justice in this world, it's not found in anything in this world. It's found in God, who is fair in all His ways. Who is perfectly just all the time. Psalm 9, verses 7 and 8, the psalmist wrote the following. He said, But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice, and he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. See, Here's what Solomon is helping us to do. He, he's doing the searching for us. We know it. We feel it, because I think we can all just say, yes, yeah, I, I see the same thing. He's looked around, he's seen all these things, and and what he's doing throughout this book is he's he's helping us just move our eyes back to where they should be. You want hope? You're looking for fairness, you're looking for justice, you're looking for righteousness? Don't look to these places ultimately. Look look to God who sits enthroned forever, who judges his peoples with uprightness. There's no wickedness to be found in God. He is perfect in all his ways. He rules and reigns over the world perfectly, perfectly. He knows all things. He sees all things. There's not a single sin that goes unnoticed by him. He's a great God. Nothing surprises him. Nothing. He knows all the facts, whether you tell him the facts or not, because he knows all things. He knows more than you think he knows. He knows the secrets of our hearts, the things that we try to hide and the things that your enemies are trying to. He knows all of them. He's perfect and and he knows the right thing to do at the right time with the right amount of resources to ultimately get to the right place. He's an all-wise God. It's one of my favorite attributes. I have a lot of favorite attributes. But one of my favorite attributes when I think about God is just how wise he is. He is wisdom. Always knowing the right thing to do at the right time to accomplish the right thing. According to his good purpose. And he's always just. His timing, though, might not be our timing. But his timing is perfect and ours isn't. See, we are not God. He is. We all want justice, don't we? And we all want it when we want it. The kid who tells his parents that it's not fair that his older sibling gets to sit in the front seat because he just sat in the front seat yesterday wants justice. And that justice looks like, hey, get out of the front seat. Your younger sibling now needs to get in the front seat. That's what we want by justice is we want that fairness. We want everybody to be able to do everything equally at the same time. The guy who gets overlooked for a job and sees it given to someone else who is less prepared and less qualified wants justice immediately. And what that justice looks like is him getting that job. The president who loses, I told you I'd come back to this, the president who loses an election because he claims it wasn't fair, wants justice immediately. And what does that justice look like? I mean, ousting the one who is in that position and then putting him back into it. We want it to be fair and we want it to be immediate. But what Solomon's trying to say and teach us here is, no, there's a time for justice. And God knows exactly what He's doing all the time. Sometimes it comes immediately in the form of of judgment in some way, but, but I think He's getting at something even greater than just this immediate discipline or this immediate reversal of the way life was going to this justice that's going to happen when Christ comes to judge the living and the dead. But there is a specific time... That God has appointed, just like He's appointed a time for you to be born and a time for you to die, God has specifically appointed a time when He's going to judge all things. In righteousness, where all wrongs will be made right. Everything will just be exposed and it's going to be brought out into the light and nothing will be overlooked. Philip Ryken writes the following, he says... If there is a season for everything and a time for every matter under heaven, then there must be a time for justice. Therefore, rather than simply getting angry and sad about all the oppression we see in the world, we can trust God to make things right in the end. Now, he's not saying you can't get righteously angry about seeing little babies being killed because we should be angry about that. That's just wrong doesn't mean we can't be sad when we see people or yourself being taken advantage of. But what he's getting at here is that if we really believe God is who he says he is, and he's appointed a time to judge all things and bring justice upon this world, then then we are called to trust him for that. We're we're called to put our hope in him, knowing that he's going to expose everything and he's going to bring judgment upon all of these things. And he's going to do it perfectly. He's he's not going to take a bribe. He's not going to overlook something. He's he's not going to have these unbalanced scales because he, he wants to sort of be more favorable to this person for some reason. It doesn't work that way. God is perfect in all his ways. And there is a time for this. And we're called to trust him. So it doesn't mean that we don't fight for the oppressed, or seek to do the right thing at the right time in this world, because we're called to do that too. But it does mean need, we we need to understand that we do live in a broken world. Injustices will never fully go away this side of heaven. This place will never be heaven. We wait, Jesus. We're waiting on Jesus to to usher in the new heavens and the earth. And so we live in a broken world where even wickedness is found in places that are meant to be just. Even wickedness is found in places that are meant to be righteous. And this world will never be fair. You will be overlooked and you will be taken advantage of by others. Years ago, I, I learned this truth in sort of a, a little bit of a different way, but just reading a number of books and I came across this guy who, who shared this line with me. He says, you always get paid for your work. You guys know what that means? Anybody ever heard that? And so what he was getting at here is the Lord always pays you for your work. And so as believers, we work as unto the Lord. We have customers in this world, but we work as unto the Lord. And so me and my boys, we mow people's lawns. And every year we run across a few customers that don't like to pay for their work. I just come to understand it. I'm sure if you have a business, you understand it's just life. There's people out there. Sometimes they just like to take advantage of people. So you go, you you mow their lawns, you take care of their stuff. And when it comes time to get paid, there's an excuse and they just kind of push you down the line. And we've done this for a number of years. I understand it. I see it coming, but, but it doesn't bother me. And the reason it doesn't bother me is because of that truth that I learned from whoever that guy was that taught it to me. The Lord always pays you for your work. I don't work ultimately for them. Just like I don't pastor ultimately for you. I pastor before the Lord. He's called me to do this. I mow lawns for the Lord. He just happens to lead me to my neighbors to mow their yard. And so when they don't pay, what that means is I trust him to be at work in it. I trust him that though they may never pay me, the Lord sees it. The Lord will right all wrongs, even little insignificant things like that. And I may never see that money this side of heaven, and I may never see it in heaven. It may show up in a completely different way that I may not necessarily be aware of at the time, but I know it's true. Why? Because we serve a just God who will bring about justice at just the right time. The question is, do we trust him for this? Is our ultimate hope in him when we find ourselves being taken advantage of by others? Do we try to fight for ourselves? Or do we trust the Lord to fight for us? And that takes wisdom. It takes a lot of wisdom to know when do we press forward and when do we just back off and say, okay, Lord, I'm going to let you do whatever it is you want to do. When it is that you want to do it again, this takes faith to trust that God is who He is, and He does this in His timing. And there is a day of judgment coming. Acts seventeen, Paul speaking, said this. He said, "The times of ignorance God overlooked, but not but now but no He commands all people everywhere to repent, because He has fixed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness." by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So there is a day coming that Jesus is going to judge the living and the dead. On this day, he's going to give everyone who has not repented of their sins and trusted in him what they really deserve. It's going to be a scary day. It's a scary day if you think about it for those especially who have not trusted in Jesus. I love singing about what Jesus has done for us. Saved us. And we can look to this day of judgment and find great hope in him. But if you haven't trusted in him, it's a scary day. Everything's brought out, laid out, and his judgment will be brought upon you. Our only hope for this day is to be found in him. Through repentance and faith, trusting that he really is a good savior who really did live a perfect life on our behalf, who really did die on a cross, exhausting the wrath of God for all of our sins, so that we might be forgiven and have the hope of eternal life. Again, Philip Ryken writes the following. He says, whenever we see injustice, especially acts of oppression, that we are powerless to prevent, we can still pray for justice, leaving things in God's hands. This requires faith in God's promises and also the patience for waiting on his timing. We all want justice, don't we? Especially when we see such just blatant abuses of people and oppression. And we work towards those things. But ultimately our hope is in God. He will right all these wrongs. And it takes faith because we have to wait. We're waiting on his timing. So this life might not be fair. There might be wickedness and injustice all around us, but God is at work. And He's at work for our good. And there's a day coming where all these wrongs, they're going to be made right. And our second point, we learned that we can find joy in an unfair world. This is the final point as well. Verse 18, I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them that they may see that they themselves are but bees. Apparently, Solomon sees that we're being tested as we're living out our life in this fallen and broken world under the sun. This test is not one where God's trying to find out what is true about this person. Again, God knows all things about everybody all the time. This test is really for our benefit, that we might learn something about who we are, and what he's saying is there's a test going on that that we might understand that we are very similar to beasts. Very similar to animals. There's something he wants us to know that, that we're like them in this one specific way at least. And he goes on and he says, verse 19, for what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beasts, for all is vanity. All go to one place, all are from the dust, and to the dust all return. So Solomon's not talking about our value here. He understands we've been created in God's image after his likeness. So there's a lot of things that are different between us and like your dog, right? Pretty obvious. But what he's trying to help us understand here is is What's also true, though, is your dog was born and your dog will die. And he's been trying to teach us this for a while as he's working his way through the book. And he's saying, so will you. There's a time for you to be born and there's a time for you to die. Psalm 49, verse 12, he says, Man in his pomp will not remain. He's like the beasts that perish. What this means is that the most beautiful woman in the entire world is very similar to the most ugly dog in the entire world. You get it? Both are born and both will die. That's what Solomon's trying to help us. Again, he's looking out at this world and he's just saying, okay, what's the point? What's the point of being the most beautiful woman in the world if you're just like the ugliest dog in the world and you just breathe the same air and then you just end up in the ground? You end up going back to the dirt, in the dust he goes on to ask and kind of answer his question. Verse 21, he says, who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth? And so it seems like Solomon's just a little uncertain here. Is it true that man and, or it is true that man and animal both die, but is there any hope? Do, do we really know that, okay, the dog just stays there, but but the spirit of of humans, that it goes up there. He's just trying to figure out what really is the difference. How do we really know? What's the point of living if we're really just like our dogs or beasts? So he goes to verse 22 and he says, So I saw that there's nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? And so he's looking at this and he's thinking about this and he's just saying at the end of the day, here's my conclusion. Just enjoy what you get. Just enjoy what you get. He seems kind of hopeless, honestly, as you're reading through this at this point. And if you've been following, he's kind of up and down, brings us some hope. But here he just sort of just says, okay, if this is true, if we are just like the beast, we're born and we die, we don't really know. He's just saying, enjoy what you got. Receive whatever it is you get from God and and just try to live a happy life. And then he asks that question, who can bring him to see what will be after him? It's a great question, right? Does anybody in here actually know somebody who has died? gone into heaven, and then has come back and told you about it? Do you have a friend here that's done that? I don't know anybody that has. But God hasn't left us there, has He? So Solomon asked a great question. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? What hope do we have? We have this. We have a lot of hope, don't we? Because we've been given Jesus Christ. Jesus said this in John 14, 1. He said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. That's our Savior, Jesus, telling us there's hope beyond this life. And it's found in him. And then Paul, writing to the Corinthians, says the following. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we of all people are most to be pitied. Isn't that true? If there's no hope, if we're just like dogs, that's another theological discussion, so I'm not going to get into dogs go to heaven and things like that. I have this week with some people. The point being is if we're like animals and we just breathe our last breath and we die and we stay in the ground and there's no hope for the resurrection, then guess what? We are to be pitied, aren't we? But he goes on and he says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So who can know? Who can know if we go up or down? We do. We all know this. We all know this is not home. When we breathe our last breath, we will meet our Maker." We will see our Savior. There's a day coming when He is going to judge the living and the dead. And everyone who trusts in Him will be raised to life. Where we get to spend eternity in heaven, where there will be no sin. There'll be no wickedness in the place of justice. There'll be no wickedness in the place of righteousness. There'll be no more wars. No more videos of babies dying and people being abused. None of that will exist. And that place is real. And we have our hope in it. So when we live our life, we can enjoy all that's given to us, God, all that God's given to us, knowing that, that this is not where it ends. We are not to be pitied. But instead, we get to live with faith. And we really get to enjoy what God gives to us. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Because we trust that whatever happens, God sees it and he'll bring it all to light and he will right all wrongs. And our hope for that day is not in us. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this hope that we have in Jesus, Lord, just Your steadfast love poured out through your Son. And so, Lord, as we live life, help us to live life with our eyes on Christ, hoping not in the things of this world, but in the better future that Jesus has purchased for us. And so, God, please fill us with your Spirit that we might live with great faith and great joy, In a broken world. Hoping in you alone. In Jesus name we pray. Amen.